Where is God when we suffer? How does the Bible speak into dark times? Should we expect God to resolve our suffering? Or is God at work in ways that perhaps we've not even imagined? Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Crammer Hall Durham, where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Fleming, and in today's show, I'll be talking to Bishop Libby Lane. Libby was recently appointed Bishop of Derby, and with her we'll be exploring our question today, how is God with us when we suffer? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Bishop Libby, welcome to Talking Theology. Thank you. Really glad to be with you. Tell us about your journey to your current role now as Bishop of Derby. I know that's involved a few connections with Durham over the years, as well as ministry elsewhere. Tell us a little bit about the journey so far for you. I became a Christian when I was 11, um, going on my own to a village church in North Derbyshire. And from that moment, have lived my life in the context of God has given everything for me in Jesus. How can I give myself back in return? And that took me to an undergraduate degree in theology at Oxford, during which time I went through the process of selection for ordination. And a couple of years later, after getting married, that brought me and my husband to train at Cram Hall. Uh, The vote for the ordination of women to the priesthood went through while I was here training. So I was among that first wave of women who were selected and trained and ordained exactly in parallel with their male peers. So 25 years ago this year, I was ordained priest. And then four years ago, after serving in lots of different capacities across the northern province, I was consecrated Bishop of Stockport and the first woman to uh, hold that office in the Church of England. Since being Bishop of Stockport, I was asked to become chair of the governing body for Cranmer Hall and so have a part to play in the governance of St John's College here in Durham. As a bishop, one of your tasks, I imagine, is caring for and listening to the experience of clergy and others going through times of significant trial and suffering. What's that been like for you? What's that look like? How have you found yourself exercising that ministry? I hope with humility and humanity. I think that engagement with people comes first of all out of our shared humanity there is a a particular task of being a bishop being charged with the the cure uh, the health and well-being of the people within our diocese and with particular responsibility for the clergy who share that cure with us but first and foremost i do that as a as a human being and as a follower of jesus Give us a sense of some of the range of stories you've shared in or journeys you've walked with. 
clergy are people like mm. everybody else and so their stories and the things they face and the the darkness we sometimes inhabit is that of um, all sorts of other people and so it has been um and it is a privilege always when people ask you to share that space with them. So it has been my privilege to be alongside people facing the darkness of grief, of the death of somebody they love, people facing the darkness of illness and the loss that that brings in capacity and future and possibilities. Um sitting with people living in the darkness of mental ill health um, and the the limitations that that brings to people's sense of hope. Um, sitting alongside uh, people whose marriages have broken down, who have been charged and committed, um, found guilty of crimes, just all sorts of the stuff of human life that people have to deal with, clergy face as well. Mm. And as a bishop, sometimes I've been able to be there alongside those mm. people. As you've come alongside them, as you've no doubt prayed for them and with them, what have been the resources that you found yourself drawing on to offer comfort, to offer support. I'm thinking particularly of the biblical resources, the, the places you've gone to, perhaps to articulate the darkness or even engage with it. I think what I've brought primarily is a willingness to sit in the dark with people. And for that to be okay. And for me to be okay with that, I have had to draw on my own lived experience and how that has been formed and informed through scripture. So... I find it particularly important that I remind myself in scripture of those those bits of scripture that do not have sort of fairy tale happy endings that don't have the ends tied up neatly um to turn to the psalms of lament and particularly those that don't move into concluding passages that find wholeness and restoration I find the book of Job enormously helpful because it is sort of visceral in its honesty. And I don't read a resolution in that darkness. Um, there is a, um, a coming to a way of living with it. Um, but it, what is lost cannot be restored and that is faced. Um, and I find that helpful that Job is able to, I think, live up to God's expectation of him and not lose faith, but be prepared to 
wrestle and fight and argue and be angry and despairing. And that is expression of faithfulness. I find that really important. And alongside that dynamic in the book of Job, where, as you say, you have that wrestling, that visceral voicing of the pain that remains unresolved, you also have this, what might kindly be called pastoral care on the part of Job's alleged comforters. There's two at least distinct phases to that. The first is the sitting with Job and they simply keep silence. And then they give the lengthy yes. uh, answers, considerations. Have you thought about this? And Am I right in hearing you say that really pursuing that first route of simply sitting with, even that that's something we can learn from what they got right as, as well as what they got wrong? Yes. And I think that we, we certainly can learn from what they get right, but also learn from what they got wrong and recognise that we will get it wrong too. And actually, that's okay as well. Um, And it's not... It is human to want to try and make things better, even when the things that are actually, um, humanly speaking, irreparable. So... I think I try to inhabit those spaces in ways that mean that I I would only move to the this is what I have known this is these are the things I think this is what I read this is how I pray only when that is asked for um, and not as a way of trying to move somebody on or out. So, I, I, there's a caveat in there, and you may want to come back to that, but, but, but broadly. Almost it's, you're saying that, that Job at no point invites them to do that. It's almost in the lack of invitation that their biggest mistake is to yes. be made. It's not the trying to make sense. Yes, but absolutely. It's, the, it's, the, it's the imposing it. Imposing it, yes, and not waiting um, for the invitation um, to ask that and and the truth is I think as I read Job is that um, he's not asking for it to be made sense of because from where he sits it is senseless mm. and I think we have to face that mm. can I take you back to what you talked about in terms of the Psalms and some of the Psalms that are don't produce a resolution many psalms do where they say yes i trust in you again my savior and i remember when i go to the holy land we go to a particular dungeon in st peter Gallicantu, a church just outside the old city of jerusalem and the psalm we always read there a first century dungeon whether jesus was there of course we don't know but it's redolent of what he might have been the psalm we read there is psalm 88 which ends with the phrase and darkness is my closest friend it sprang to mind when i talked when I heard you talk about the darkness earlier, what is the value of a psalm like that in journeying with people uh, uh, as they suffer? That it is there, uh, that it is in scripture and therefore that is a, a valued and honoured place to be in 
in our journey through life and in our relationship with God. It is important that it is there, that it recognises that inhabiting that darkness has not been resolved, but that darkness need not be a terror. Darkness need not be emptiness, need not be hopeless. You talked about darkness not needing to be a terror. I wonder also if the place of that psalm within scripture also says to us that darkness need not be a source of shame. And That's one- really important. And particularly within church circles and for clergy in particular, um, it's really hard for us for there to be spaces where um, we can we can face our own darkness and the terror that might make us feel and that not be understood by ourselves or others as um as failure Hmm. or as shame Hmm. as we look into the new testament is there anything in the story of jesus as as both accounted uh, recounted in the gospels and reflected on in the epistles that provides a, a resource for you as someone who who walks with people in times of darkness. Yes, we're we're recording this on Ash Wednesday, and um, that it's a that's a really precious day for me. Um, I find it really valuable to be reminded that um, from dust I came and to dust I will return. And that that is God-filled. And the the whole premise of the new covenant is the honouring of our dust that God took on in the flesh of Jesus. And that in itself, for me, is really important. Um that we have a saviour who knows and understands our frailty. So that Jesus was able to be alongside and literally and metaphorically sit in the dust with those who were um, suffering and in pain matters. Um, And that Jesus himself knew darkness and that it terrified him too. Mm. That in terms of Gethsemane. and yeah. rather have not have yeah. entered into that final darkness. And the cry of dereliction from the cross matters. Um, Jesus knew what it felt like to feel abandoned, to be in darkness. And... For me, the other the other end of Lent, the other bracket of of Ash Wednesday is Holy Saturday, and I think as That's a the church Saturday. and as a between Good, Good Friday, Friday and, mm-hmm. and and Easter Day, which we pass through quickly now, I think um, as a church and as a society, um, but actually inhabiting Holy Saturday, I think it's holy. It's that holy ground. Um, uh, the the that dark space of the tomb between the crucifixion and the resurrection is holy ground. 
And we read the Easter stories as if that that ground was passed through without note. Um, um, and yet I think we miss something because we don't inhabit that space more fully. One of the challenges, I guess, with that is that it is largely an unnarrated event in the sense that the Gospels themselves uh, require imagination rather than provide an account of that Holy Saturday. They don't. And so therefore, is what you're saying is that we need to make uh, a creative effort to pause ourselves? I think we do. I mm. think we, we rush through the mm. space too much. Um, and to allow the space to be... Um, uh, and to s- sit in it, and to, in reflection of the of the Easter story, to recognise that for those first disciples, a Holy Saturday was there before Easter Sunday, and their grief was eternal. On Holy Saturday, Jesus was dead. Um, and all that that death meant was absolute in that space all those losses um were present in that space and we diminish what that means if we rush from the cross to the empty tomb without recognizing the space in between and allowing ourselves to inhabit it somehow as those first disciples did, many of whom um, actually it wasn't just that space because their own realisation of Jesus' resurrection took more time than those three days. Um, and so um, for, her, for them, Holy Saturday was, was stretched. Um, and I think that that tension between uh, time and eternity uh, in Holy Saturday is very fluid. Um, and so if our Holy Saturdays aren't resolved in 24 hours, that's okay. That- and it's almost the New Testament equivalent of the of Job's friends just sitting. And, and it's that both of what I've heard you say is that both of that, that theological uh, a justification and rootedness for simply sitting rather than expecting tidy resolution um, is something we often avoid. Yeah. Yes, it is. And I have, I have had to grow into, I have had to learn not to need to have answers or that whatever answers I might work my way towards, they are at best incomplete um, and very possibly likely wrong and that lack of clarity and uncertainty is also okay Um, it's okay for me to feel it and to know it and it's okay for me to to say so you've reflected on how theology has fed your pastoral support your pastoral care your being alongside others as a bishop, you also have a significant public role. Um, and I know that your role as a bishop has involved a lot of uh, contact with schools. Um, education has been a significant part of your ministry as Bishop of Stockport. 
And I imagine that any bishop in that context will be asked questions of how do you explain suffering in the light of the God of love? I'm not asking you for an easy answer wrapped up with a bow. I'm asking how you how your theology helps you even engage with those sorts of questions that are asked on a more public yes. setting. Tell me about yes. that. Uh, first of all, I want when people ask me those questions is to is to want to recognize the importance of the question um, and to be grateful that people are asking the question um, and to realize that for many people, those quest- theoretical questions come out of some specific lived experience. And so to try and sensitively acknowledge that before I answer. Um, and so very often, particularly in schools, I will begin any sense of an answer with a, um, I realize for you who's asked the question, um, this may come out of a particular experience. And if it doesn't for you, there will be others in the room um, uh, who are living with having to struggle with um, uh, difficult situations and their own suffering and pain or that of people that they love. So just to recognize those things, I think, is, is important. And my answers, I always try to couch in in open ways so that I'm because I recognize that as a bishop, um, in most circumstances, um, I hold a position of power and that dynamic is very easily, uh, sometimes unintentionally, unknowingly manipulated. And so I want people to understand that the answers I work towards need not be the only answer. Um, so again, couching my question, my answers to those questions in, this is what I have found helpful, or these are the things that um, I read or understand, or this is how I understand my faith to teach me. Nearly always it, it returns to Jesus. Um, so when people ask those questions of how can a loving God allow suffering, the honest answer is, I don't know. I don't know. And I find it difficult. But what I know of Jesus means that I'm prepared to live with that difficulty and that uncertainty and that pain and anger because what I see in Jesus makes clearer to me that God is essentially loving and merciful and shares that pain and darkness. We've reflected on what it means to speak of God, which is theology, (laughs) to speak of God present in um, darkness and times of trial and yet I'm conscious that often those experiences are that people feel God is absent what is it that enables you to speak of God being at work in and through those circumstances and alongside that question what is it that enables you to speak of hope 
And I assess as both a pastor and somebody engaging in the public sphere, if we can bring those two places together. I think hope is really important. Um, As a theological concept, but also as a as a tool for good living. And I mean hope, not um, naive optimism um, or simply being optimistic. Um, By hope, I mean confidence in that which is beyond what we touch and taste and see and hear and know in the created order um to to be able to sustain a an horizon uh, that is beyond the limitations and therefore the the pains and and difficulties of, of what is here um so i think hope is really important and and that's trying to enable the context of hope to be the vessel in which people's lived pain and darkness can be held gently and gracefully is really important in pastoral context immediate pastoral context but i also think it's important on a a wider more public scale that we are reminded as society um, of the possibility of hope and that we don't allow immediate and presenting and difficult circumstances uh, to limit our options or to turn us to places where we make decisions and choices and actions out of fear and anxiety and defensiveness because I think inevitably those are going to be um, uh, selfish and short term and sometimes hope is the only thing that can give us a a wider horizon. As a reminder I suppose that Easter Sunday does follow Holy Saturday and while we don't want to fast forward that that is something that was not just true for Jesus, but is true of the wider story of God in our world. It's true. It, it, it is true. And that is our hope. Mm-hmm. That is our hope, that, that, that Easter Sunday is true. Um, that's the foundation for, for all our hope. Um, and, and, and it is hopeful because it is not dependent on me or you or any of us. Um, it is hopeful because it it is the work of done of God and it is done, and it's the only foundation for me for hope. Um, sometimes for me in in my own life and circumstances, but certainly more widely, the only foundation for hope and um, for our church and um, for our nation, for our world. Mm. Can I ask you more about that, if I may, and, and, and finish on, a, on that sort of personal note? None of us live lives free from these experiences. How has your engagement with the questions of 
God at work in darkness and suffering as a as a as a minister and as a bishop how has engaging those questions actually helped you reflect on your own life your own story and deepened and sustained your faith it's been absolutely necessary for me to do that self-reflection and to to turn that focus back into my self from the ministry that I exercise. I am, by inclination, uh, somebody who wants to uh, make things better and sort things out. Um, and oftentimes I, am, I can do that. I, I'm able to do that. But wanting to be alongside people well in their darkness has enabled me to understand myself better and allow that I don't need to be sorted out. Um, My own, as you say, nobody goes through life without uh, facing those, those difficult times. I have actually had an extraordinarily protected and blessed existence, truth be told. But that doesn't mean that there haven't been uh, periods or occasions or circumstances that have been extraordinarily painful. And with her permission, um, I speak of one of the most valuable experiences in terms of my own formation and maturity and growth uh, being uh, parenting um, my daughter who has ongoing mental health problems and the realization that this is who she is and I cannot make her better and that's been such a gift to me that she is who she is and she's glorious and precious and God loves her as she is and that it making her better is not the godly thing that who she is makes me better. Uh, that what I learn of myself by living with her is far more than I could give her to tidy those things up. And that has been extraordinarily important for my own spiritual journey and my own emotional and relational um, maturity as I said um, I talk of these things with her permission Um, she has enormous courage and is content for people to know um, how she is and content that I speak of how that um, has shaped and informed me So her integrity 
um, and uh, the way she is able to be herself, including those bits that she finds dark and those bits that other people on the outside would see as um, as darkness. Have in fact been, have proved to be places of extraordinary grace. One of the things I have found as a pastor over the years is exactly that experience that the very places which seem most unlikely to find God at work, that is to say the unresolved places, seem to be the places where God can sometimes be at work in the most wonderful, transforming and moving ways. And there's something of tremendous hope in that. Yes. That the God is not a God who ties up bows, although that sometimes wonderfully happens. But even more wonderfully, it is the God who, as you say in the dynamic with your daughter, is at work in you in ways that you would not have thought possible. And that is itself a wonderful sign of hope in the midst of the darkness. It is. It doesn't diminish the darkness. It doesn't suggest that it doesn't continue to be painful and difficult. Um, But it's not something uh, to be brushed aside. Libby, that's a very hopeful place from which to end. Thank you very much indeed for appearing on Talking Theology. Thank you. You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmahal, Durham. Cranmahal is a theological college within St John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmahal.com.